We are glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. If you've been impacted by Fuel Church, share your story with us by emailing mystory at thefuelchurch.com. And to learn more about our worship experiences, visit our website at www.thefuelchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. All right, we're going to um, go to God's Word today. Are you ready to hear the Word today? I'm ready to bring it. Two people are ready. I'm going to try that one more time. I know it's the 915. Are you ready to hear the Word today, church? All right. Well, we're going to continue in our series, Neighborhood Hope Dealers. And uh, this series has really, um, has, has really shifted, I believe, our church. And uh, we, we are talking about how each of us, someone say each of us, every one of us, all of us collectively make up Fuel Church. We are Fuel Church. This building is just brick and mortar. And whether you like the new paint job or not... If you don't, don't tell me. Um, If you do, please tell me. But uh, this is just brick and mortar. But what makes up Fuel Church is us, each of us. Every one of us collectively make up Fuel Church. And according to God's word, we've been seeing that we are called to be the literally hands and feet of Jesus Christ here on earth. The church is the expression of God's love here on earth. Jesus is not here. He's in heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. And he said, now I need you to go out to a hurting, broken world. And I need you to be my hands and feet. I need you to be the expression of my love in your community. So that's why we are called to be neighborhood hope dealers. In this series, if you, if you missed the other two messages, you can get caught up on the podcast. And I encourage that. In this series, we've, we've really been looking at the heart of Fuel Church, like who we are and why we exist as a church. Um, and, and you've been hearing my heart as your leader, as your pastor, and uh, you've been hearing my prayer for where I believe God is taking us as a church in this next season. Some will say next season. It's been a great three years, but how many know that there's always more with God? Come on now, there's always more with God, and there's seasons in a church, and there's seasons in your personal walk with the Lord, and we have stepped into a new season here at Fuel Church, amen? So here's what we've looked at so far, and uh, we came out of the scripture where Jesus said his desire is for his house, his church to be filled. Amen? Remember that scripture? It's in Matthew, and he says, listen, I I want you to go out, and I want you to find everyone, the good, the bad, regardless, and bring them to my house so it can be filled. So his desire is every week for there to be no empty chairs in his house. He wants his house to be filled. That's his dream. That's his vision for his house. And so we've looked at a few things that we're praying that God would fill this house with. Week number one, we prayed that, God, would you fill this house with broken people? God, will you fill this house with broken people? Last week, we looked at this prayer. We're praying that God would fill this house with love people. 
So, so far we looked at, we were praying for God to fill this house with people who are hurting and we're praying that God would fill this house for people who will help those who are hurting. Amen. And so today I want to step forward into part three of this message. And I want you to look at Psalms chapter 78, verse one through six. You'll see it come on the screen here. It says, listen, dear friends, to God's truth. Bend your ears to what I tell you. I'm chewing on the morsel of a proverb. I'll let you in on sweet old truths, stories we've heard from our fathers, counsel we learned at our mother's knee. We're not keeping this to ourselves. We're passing it along to the next generation. God's fame and fortune, the marvelous things he has done. He planted a witness in Jacob. He set his word firmly in Israel and commanded our parents to teach it to their children. Key part of the verse. So the next generation would know and all the generations to come know the truth and tell the stories so their children can trust in God. The third thing that I'm praying for God to fill this place with is this. God, would you fill this house with people who give hope to the next generation? To the next generation. The generations that are after us, our kids and our students and our young adults. God, would you fill this house with people who have a burden, who have a passion to give hope? Someone say hope. To the next generation. Today I want to move forward in talking about our role as a church in molding and shaping the next generation. You know, there are three great investments that we make in life. We make financial investments. We make relational investments. And we make spiritual investments. Whether you know it or not, you're making those three investments every day of your life. And then we think about that regarding your kids. Think about those three investments regarding our church in reaching the next generation. With this in mind, what would be the greatest investment we could make as a church that would outlast us? Because one day we're going to hand this off to the next generation. One day we're going to be gone. And there's going to be a new generation that steps up to carry on the vision that God has placed in this church. I believe that the grace of God compels us as a church to invest in the next generation. Invest financially. Invest relationally. And invest spiritually. And so, because of this, I believe that we have the hope. We have the answer that the next generation is searching for. And please understand this, that God has a great plan for our young people, our, our kids and our students. But the devil has a great plan for them also. Yes, he does. And it's our job as the church to help them discover God's best for their lives. After 16 years of working with young people and students, I've kind of narrowed down five main categories that the enemy attempts to steal and take out the next generation with. Five main categories that I've seen after counseling and talking with thousands of students and parents over the years. Here's five main categories that the enemy's coming at them with. Number one is internet pornography. 
internet pornography. Now it's not, you don't have to get a magazine, it's in the palm of your hand. It's point and click pornography. And it's so accessible if a young person has a phone. Pornography is trying to steal the view and values that we should have, the godly values we should have about women and men. Trying to corrupt and distort the vision of the next generation. The average age of a first-time viewer of pornography is six years old. Six years old right now. The second thing I see him coming at our, this generation with is eating disorders. Eating disorders because we now have a social media presence that is so strong. And really, social media, if you get in the trap of it, can be nothing more than a comparison trap. So we're seeing everybody's highlight moments. Yay, I went to the park. It was a beautiful day. I grabbed flowers. We didn't, they didn't show that they stepped in dog poop on the way. They don't show the tantrums that their kids go through in the car. They just show everybody nicely dressed for Father's Day. Yay, great Father's Day, but you just cussed out your kids before you came to church. (laughs) We only show our highlight moments. And so, therefore, we look at everybody's best, and we don't see their behind-the-scenes footage that they don't put on. And so, therefore, this generation has this issue of comparison because they always want the best of what other people have. And so they compare their behind the scenes with someone else's highlight reel. And their image and their view of who they are is distorted. And because they don't look like that model who's had airbrushed and cut and paste, come on now, plucked out, plucked up, sucked out. Anyway, because they don't look like that, They get into eating disorders. Eight million teenagers are affected. 90% of girls ages 12 to 25 are dealing with eating disorders right now. The third thing I see attacking our generation is suicide. Its best friends are depression and oppression. It's the second leading cause of death among youth. And Indiana has the highest rate of high school students contemplating suicide. Contemplating suicide. Hmm? Suicide. It's one in every 13 minutes a young person takes their life. One in every 13 minutes. Someone says life's not worth living. So we have to do something as a church to reach the next generation. The fourth thing that I see is drugs and alcohol. By the age But by the 8th grade, 20% of adolescents have tried alcohol. 15% have smoked cigarettes. 17% by the 8th grade have used marijuana. And there's 150,000 teen overdoses each year that end in death. 150,000. The fifth thing that I see in this generation of young people coming up is a fatherless generation. A fatherless generation. 24 million children live without a father in the U.S. 24 million. And here's the thing. All of hell would love to try and mess up our fathers in order to mess up the next generation. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he, he wants men to make babies but not father them. Oh, you, you didn't come to hear a word today, did you? You quiet on me today on Father's Day. 
But he's a good, good father. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Fatherless children. They are five times more likely to commit suicide, eight times more likely to go to prison, nine times more likely to drop out of high school, 10 times more likely to abuse chemical substances, 20 times more likely to have a behavioral problem, 20 times more likely to become a rapist, 32 times more likely to run away, 33 times more likely to be seriously abused, and 73 more times likely to be fatally abused. Fatherless generation. If you're a young lady that didn't grow up with a healthy father, there's a 53% chance you're to marry as a teenager. There's a 71% chance that you're going to have a child as a teenager, and there's a 92% chance that it will end in divorce. We have an epidemic with our young people. And every generation has them, right? Your generation have them, whether you're in the baby boomers, the millennials, or whatever generation you're in, the enemy loves to steal the seed of the next generation. Because just imagine if he can get our kids and our grandkids out of God's house. Imagine there won't be a fuel church in 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Are you hearing me today? So my prayer is that God would fill this house with people who give hope to the next generation. You say, well, I, 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 I am a father. Well, let me ask you this question. Are you a father that's actively involved in your kid's life? Are you a father that just provides financially for your kids? Because the three investments are financially relationally and spiritually financially relationally and spiritually and I know a lot of fathers and they 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 work a lot they don't see their kids and can I just tell you this fathers that no amount of success can compensate for failure in your home I'll stay to my notes I can see where this is going no money no position No authority, no job is worth you being absent from your home to invest spiritually and relationally into your kids. Well, I give them everything they want. That's the problem. You're giving them everything they want. What does God want you to give them? Are you providing just a a financial legacy or is there a spiritual legacy that you're leaving for your kids? The Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That inheritance is more than just finances and the car and the lake house and the old car that you worked on all your life to hand off to your kids. There is a spiritual inheritance that you will one day leave to your children. There is a spiritual inheritance that we will one day leave to the young people, the next generation behind us, that we will leave them for Fuel Church. There's a spiritual inheritance. Okay? I don't want to miss out on this great investment that we can make into the lives of our kids and our young people. Acts 27, 9, here's our text for the day. I'll give you a few points and I'll get out of your way here today. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Long-winded preacher right here. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. Seated in the window was a young man. 
a young man, a young person, a student named Eutychus. If you're looking for baby names, may I suggest this is not one. (laughs) Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Some of you are like, yeah, that's you every week, Jacob. (laughs) When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from a third story and was picked up dead. Here we see that Paul is speaking and um, he um, is, is about to leave this part of the, the country. And because he's about to leave, he thinks he's got to preach all 30 of his messages all in one night. And so the Bible says that they're in this upstairs room and, and he's going on and on until midnight. And uh, their bellies were full. They had just ate. And, and, and this, this teenager is sitting in the window seal. And all of a sudden he falls asleep, falls out of the window and dies. Now, I've preached a lot of bad messages in my life. I mean, I just admit it. I mean, 19, 20 years of preaching, I, there's been a lot of horrible ones where I was just like, I'm done, I quit, I'm going to be a car salesman, you know, forget this. But I have never preached a message that bad where somebody died in the service. <laughs> never. And so, I don't, I don't know what happened here. But um, according to this text, here are a few things that I, I don't, uh, that I don't want us to do or that we don't do in order to reach the next generation with hope. Here are a few things. Number one, we don't reach them with boring and irrelevant environments. We reach them with fun and exciting ones. If we're going to give hope to the next generation, if there's going to be a church after us that's going to thrive and succeed in our communities, in our state, and around the world, we do not reach them with boring and irrelevant environments. We reach them with fun and exciting ones. Eutychus was in an environment that did not engage him. Didn't engage him. Paul was preaching too long. So long he went into the night and it just did not capture him. You see, our methods in reaching the next generation must change. Although our message stays central to Jesus and a relationship and knowing God and finding freedom and discovering purpose and making a difference. But our methods have to change. Our methods must change. If we don't, we will hear the famous last words of a dying church. We never did it that way. Famous last words of a dying church. We never did. We're not going to change because we never did it that way in the church. We never did it that way when I was growing up. Environment, environments matter. Someone say that with me. Environments matter. Put your kids in a boring environment and see if they want to come back. Got little kids, take them to Chuck E. Cheese and see if they want to leave. (laughs) Right? Uh, Take them to McDonald's if you got little kids and see if they want to leave. Now, the food is horrible, but the environment that they created is for kids. And that thing called a happy meal, I call it a sad meal. (laughs) That's, That's sad, the nutrition in that. But they want the toy, Okay. So you, you spend four or five bucks and you get the happy meal. But why do they want to go back? The environment. The environment. The, the, there's a place called the Rainforest Cafe. Have you ever ate there? Yeah, you love it? The food's horrible, though. It's just horrible. But the environment's so cool. I keep going back when I'm on vacation, right? 
I, I go back because it's cool and there's animals and there's, a, the envi- there's aquariums with all these fish and, and, and all this stuff. It's so cool to go. And I'm like, I get my bill and it's $150 for that. But we go because of the environment. We go because of the environment. So therefore, we, are, we must be constantly changing when it comes to our kids and students, changing environments to reach them, coming up with new methods to engage them in the gospel. Amen? Our goal here is for your kids and your students, number one, that they have fun. That's the top priority for us. We want them to have fun. Number two, we know if they have fun that they will learn and grow in God's word. So we want them to have fun as they learn and grow in God's word. Our kids should not have to endure church. This is why many kids never came back to church. This is why some of you left for a season from the church because it was painful. I mean, it, it put you asleep. You were Eutychus falling out of the window. And you said, man, if that's what church is about, I ain't going back. And then you discovered fuel and everything changed. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. For many of us, church was done the way we wanted it when we were younger. We grew up in church. It was done a certain way. And for a lot of us, it reached us. Some of us, it didn't. But a lot of us, it did. Now we're at a place in our, in our lives and in, in, in this culture that we're doing church for the next generation. And so some things are going to be like eh, uncomfortable. Like, why are we doing that? I don't, I, I don't particularly like everything that we do here at this church. And that may be a shock to you. But I know it's reaching the next generation. I know my kids can't wait to come to church. I know some of you only come to this church because your kids love it. I'm just being honest. There's been people who came from other churches. They're just like, man, I'm more traditional. And, and I said, I get that. They said, but the reason we come is for our kids. Because they're at a teenage year and they're uh, young and, and this, this engages them. And the other church we were at did not engage them. Hmm? I'm praying that God will fill this house with people who will give hope to the next generation. Mark chapter 10, verse 14, when says this, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. When he saw what? Well, the disciples tried to stop kids from coming to Jesus. Here Jesus is praying for people, and the disciples are like, hey, hey, you kids, you young people, hang on. He's dealing with other important matters with the adults. Read the text. And the disciples literally stopped the kids from running up to Jesus. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the children come to me, read these next few words, and do not hinder them. Do not hinder them. Why? For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Church, I don't want anything that hinders kids and students from coming here. I don't want anything. I don't want any person looking down on young people because they don't look like them, dress like them, act like them, or smell like them. Because your generation, you know, didn't look like, act like, smell like, or dress like the previous generation. Y'all had bell bottoms on. Come on, somebody. My dad always told me, hold on to your clothes. In 20 years, they come back in style. They coming back. (laughs) Right? And and I don't want anything that hinders us. Why? Because Jesus said, this is what the kingdom is all about. 
He's teaching his disciples that this is what it's all about, these kids and students coming to me. He said, if you don't have this childlike faith, you'll never get into the kingdom of God. What does a child do? A child runs up to people. What does a child do? Most children, not all, when they see Santa Claus, run up to Santa Claus. Some cry. (laughs) But a lot of them run. They don't care about the line. They don't care that people have been waiting three hours to get their picture taken with Santa. They bypass the line and they run. They have childlike faith. Jesus said, that's what the kingdom is like. I want all of my kids to run to their daddy. I want them to run to their spiritual daddy, their heavenly father. Your earthly father may not be here. And maybe he wasn't a good example in your life. Maybe he was absent. Maybe you didn't have him growing up, but you have a heavenly father who is so in love with you that wants you to run to him. He said, this is what the kingdom, this is what following me is all about. It's having childlike faith. It's having childlike faith. Hmm? I don't want anything that we do at Fuel Church to hinder the next generation from knowing God. Now, we can put them in our little religious box of the way we think church should be for them. Because after all, we turned out all right and we didn't have all the lights and smoke and the cool band and skinny jeans. We didn't paint the church charcoal. Yeah, but can I tell you that times have changed and each generation is different than the next? Hmm? And what worked for one doesn't work for all. Something reached you where you were at, right? Maybe it was fear. <laughs> you didn't want to go to hell. <laughs> for some of us, that's the way we were raised. Like, I, I'm coming to Jesus' house. I ain't going to hell. The fire, the worm, the demons. It scared the hell out of you. <laughs> So you came out of fear (laughs) and that helps some people, but fear-based preaching doesn't help this next generation. Love, I'll get it out. (laughs) Love-based preaching. You try to do this three times every week. Love-based. So the time, we got to change. Look look at this picture. Look at this picture. How How many have this in your house? Some of you remember that? Some of you remember that? You're probably in the baby boomers. How many had this one with the cord? How many would get, you know, you're talking to your girlfriend. Next thing you know, you're wrapped up in the cord, right? And then we moved on. Okay, come on. How many, how many remember these phones? How many, how many had the Nextel walkie-talkie? I, had, I thought I was it, man. I could walkie-talkie people. This was awesome. And then we moved up to the iPhones. Now, the corded phone, the rotary phone. It doesn't work in this generation. It worked for then, but it doesn't work now. The iPhone works now, right? And so so we have to be willing to shift because times have changed. It was good for its time, but we don't use it anymore. It was good. Those methods were good for its time, but we can't use the corded phone anymore, the rotary phone anymore. We We can't use it. It's a different world we live in. My prayer is that we would become the bridge between the next generation and Jesus. Would you be a bridge for them to walk across to find Jesus? Would you be a bridge, church? Those who are grandparents, those who already raised your kids, those who have kids now, would you become a bridge between the next generation 
and Jesus. Because if we're going to make it easy for them to come to Jesus, then we cannot make it hard for them to come to church. We cannot make it hard for them to come to church. We have to create inviting environments. I love this. Acts chapter 20, verse 10, Paul, it says this, Paul went down, he threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he told everybody, he's alive. So he was dead, but Paul went down and embraced him. May we embrace the next generation that doesn't look like us, that doesn't act like us. I know they got piercings and tattoos and wild hair. Come on now. But you had your things growing up. We all did, right? They just look a little different than us. And, you know, I just don't believe that they're, they're all entitled. The millennials have got a bad rep, the entitled generation. There are some, but I don't believe they all are. I, 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 I've encountered some respectful millennials that respect their elders, that use their manners, right? And so we shouldn't put them all in the same lump just because some of them are like that. I love that Paul went down and he humbled himself. He got on his level And he put his arms around the young man. He spoke life into him. Fathers, let me encourage you to speak life into your kids. Not doubt and unbelief. Not putting them down all the time. Not putting them down, which brings me to my second point. We don't reach them by lecturing them. We reach them by loving them. We don't reach them by lecturing them. We reach them by loving them. Paul could have said, hey, don't you know who I am? I'm the apostle of all apostles. Right? Who are you, this teenager falling asleep on me? You deserve to die, right? I mean, I'm going to write two-thirds of the New Testament, Yudi, kiss. Like, why are you falling asleep? I got revelation from heaven. Come on now. Paul could have lectured the boy for falling asleep, falling out of the window. He could have said, don't you ever do that again. But what did Paul do? He wrapped his arms around him. And began to love on the young man. He began to encourage him. And the Bible says he came alive. He was dead. But because of the love, I believe, we can bring a generation alive to Christ. They don't have to struggle with those five things that I talked about at the beginning. We can love them through them. They may struggle with them. But you know what? We can either lecture them on those things or we can love them through it. We can sit down and have a conversation with them. Or we can say, don't, 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 don't. And shove the rules down their throat. That's the choice we have. I mean, it, it's hard as a parent. I get it. Like, like you got to have rules. You got you to gotta train your ch- children in the way they should go. But, but I've learned over the years that, you know what, I can either lecture them or I can love them. I've learned that I would rather my kids come to me when they're dealing with something in life than run away from me. And that's the thing. Some of your kids are scared of you. I know it's hard to swallow. Some of your kids are freaked out about you. If, if they would come to you and say that they're struggling with pornography or this or that, I want my kids to run to me. Say, hey, Dad, I need help. Okay, I'm going to walk with you through this. I'm going to walk with you. Because the truth is, Dad went through some of that stuff. The truth is, Mom faced some of those things, right? And we're there to guide them and lead them. But if we're always just shoving rules down their throat, it creates a rebellion. And when they get out of your house, they're going to do all the things you said, don't, 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 don't. And their relationship with God is going to be fear-based, not love-based. I'm preaching right now. I know he's playing the keys and telling me to quit, but I'm not quitting. And it's fear-based. 
I don't want my kids to serve God out of fear. Yes, there is a right way. Yes, there is a way that we uh, conduct ourselves as Christians. And no, we're not perfect. No, my kids are not perfect. I know you think your kids are. And we got counseling in the basement at 2 o'clock for you. Our kids are not perfect. I, I want them to run to daddy and mommy and say, I'm struggling with this. Help me. Walk with me through it. I don't want them to think of God as some mean God up in heaven ready to knock them over the head when they sin. I want them to have a relationship with God knowing that no matter what they do, where they go, God is always there with them. No matter what road they walk down, no matter what relationship they walk down, whether good or bad, no matter what decisions they make to take them to wrong environments, I want them to know that even if you go the wrong way, God is still right there with you. Come on. Do you remember when you struggled as a teenager? Do you remember the struggles you went through and you felt like you couldn't tell your dad? You couldn't tell your mom? Some of you remember. Be the opposite of that for your kids, your grandkids. Be available. Be like Paul and just wrap your arms around him. And say, I'm here. I believe in you. And here's what we need to do. Here's the steps I'm going to take with you. And here's the discipline that needs to happen. I believe in discipline, amen? I do believe in discipline. Spare the rod, spoil the child, the Bible says. Whatever form of discipline you like, that's up to you. But I, I, I believe in it in the context of love, of love. I believe we as a church can put our personal preferences aside in order to reach them. Stop saying, though, they don't, they, their music's too loud, and they're too this, they're too wild, and all this. Let's stop filtering them. You know, the only thing we should filter is coffee. That's the only thing. I'm, I'll say, hey, let's filter coffee, not young people. Huh? Because they're, they're in a process of discovering who they are. They don't know at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. They don't know. You remember when you were there? You didn't know. You're trying to discover who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life? Huh? Who are my friends going to be? What is my future going to look like? And here's what I want us to say. After we're gone, I want, us to, I want them to say a fuel church. These are people who believed in the next generation. These are people who said we're going to make the investment financially, relationally, and spiritually. These are people who trained up the next generation to love God's house, to serve in God's house, to make it a priority to bring their family to God's house. These are a church who was serious on getting down to their level and being willing to be uncomfortable in order to reach them. That's what I once said of Fuel Church, that they help change lives. They help give hope to the next generation. Verse 11 and 12 of this text says this, Eutychus went back upstairs and continued fellowship with them. What does this mean? Eutychus stayed with the church. He stayed in the church. There's something to be said of people who stay in the church that were kids and youth. And they're still in the church. Josiah was one of them. Rachel's one of them. Many people. My brother Joel. 
raised in the church and they stayed in the church. There's something to be said about a church that has people who stay in the church. It says he went back and he enjoyed the fellowship of the believers. There's something to be said of this church when our kids and our grandkids are still here 15, 20, 30 years later. My prayer is that God will fill this house with people who give hope to the next generation. The next generation is worth our financial, relational, and spiritual investments. And as a church, we are committed to one day hand this off to the next generation better than it's ever been before. Better. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Hey, thanks for listening today. And maybe you're out there and maybe you feel far from God today. Maybe life has thrown you a curveball. You've taken some wrong turns. You've messed up. I'm here to tell you about God's love for your life. You know, it's real and it's for you. And, and no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, God is there. His love is unconditional. And, and the Bible says that if you just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you're saved. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And I just believe that if you say this prayer and mean it with your heart, the Bible says you're saved. And I want to encourage you to tell somebody about this decision. But just wherever you're at, just say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Change me. In Jesus' name. It's simple as that. And I encourage you, find a good local church. If if you can get to Fuel Church, get here. God is moving. God is doing some great things in the lives and families of the people that come here. But find a good church where you can grow in God. Until next time, God bless you. Have a great week.